Are you interested in working in natural history television? Are you looking for the latest wildlife filmmaking news or wanting to be involved in creating a more inclusive and sustainable industry? From programme commissions to country profiles, I'm using this podcast to shine a light on all things wildlife. I'm your host, Karina Thomas. I'm a bit of a science nerd. I'm a wildlife enthusiast and have over a decade of experience producing natural history documentaries. In today's inaugural episode, we will be speaking with the wonderful Aisha Masood. She's a researcher at Offspring Films and she's going to be talking to us a little bit about how she got into natural history and her top tips for accessing this industry. And we will be discussing what it's like working in natural history as women of colour. At the end of the podcast, I'm going to touch upon the latest programme commissions and some amazing scholarships and schemes that are open at the moment. Welcome and thank you for joining me here. I feel really lucky to have you as the first person on my podcast. And when I thought about doing it, you were the person who I wanted to interview first. Ah, that's so nice. (laughs) Um, So, first I wanted to speak a little bit more about you in general. So, would you let us know where you grew up? So I grew up in Bristol, born and bred, which is quite a rarity apparently these days. Definitely. So yeah, I've lived in Bristol my whole life. I went away for uni for about four years and did some travelling, came back home and it turned out to be the ideal place for the job and the natural history hub of the world is in Bristol, which is kind of bizarre, (laughs) Um, but very fortunate. And so you mentioned you went away to university. Which university did you go to and what did you study? So I went to Oxford Brookes University and I did a slightly unconventional degree, I suppose, for this industry. I actually studied fine art and history of art. Oh, really? Yes. (laughs) So yeah, I did that for four years. But prior to that, I did an art foundation at the Bristol School of Art just up on Queen's Road. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I feel like I've come at this from a slightly different angle as opposed to science. What inspired you to want to work within natural history filmmaking? I guess you could say I wasn't really the kid that was like, oh, when I was three years old, I always wanted to be a wildlife filmmaker. (laughs) I loved animals and I loved being outside, but I loved painting and drawing. When I asked what I should do at uni, I was told to do something I love and I'll find a career that fits that. Yeah. And conveniently that worked out. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I went to uni as a painter but left doing photography and film. I made the switch quite late into my degree, probably a bit too late, because the lecture that taught photography and film was really lovely, really nice, gripped me much more than the lecture that taught painting. Oh, wow. So I never really picked up a camera until I went to uni. Not a a proper camera, anyway. (laughs) And learned how to take photos. For my final year exhibition, I made a film, a political film, on racism and Did you? what it's like to be a Muslim in Britain society at that current moment. Oh wow, I never knew that, that you yeah. did that at uni. Um, yeah, so it was my first like, I guess, entry into the film world. It was like an artistic piece, so. Um, like a short film? Yeah, so it was sort of five, six minutes. There was not much visuals. 
So I was really interested in body language and how we use our hands to talk and explain and express ourselves, which I'm doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) And unfortunately, my mum had a incident whilst I was at uni where she experienced some verbal racism. Oh no, that's really awful. Yeah, it was really difficult because I was so far away and I lived with just my mum, so it was just us two for a while. I think it was a very heightened time being Muslim in Britain at that point. A lot of things were in the news and I just wanted to create awareness about the situation of how you shouldn't always perceive people from how they look. Very powerful. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's something we're still working on today. Exactly. And also I think it's quite like a struggle with identity sometimes when you are from such a strong religion but you are born in a westernized country and yeah. you kind of like finding your own feet and trying to understand what's going on and then you have something happen like that to your mum yeah. so I just yeah I felt that was a really poignant message to show and share so, Sounds yeah. super bad. so you really so it was a journey through university yeah. first through that medium of painting mm-hmm. but then your eyes were open to filmmaking and the impact that that could have yeah so how did you go from that which is sounds like a really powerful political outlook how did you move more into the natural history zone or what inspired you to think about the natural history path so on a lighter note, <laughs> I was in uni every single day and it was like a job and all my friends were doing maybe like two, three hours a week it felt like. Because so, it was a practical course, it was nine to five. If you didn't go in, you didn't get your work done. So I, every so often I'd take what I'd call a personal day. Yeah. So I'd take a day off in a month <laughs> or something, stay in my pyjamas and just watch loads of documentaries. Oh. And I guess I kind of fell in love with conservation and impact documentaries mm-hmm. and... I think one that really opened my eyes around that time was Cowspiracy. And I just thought, these are the type of films that I want to make. And then when I left uni, I wasn't really sure how to get into the industry. I think a lot of people will resonate with that. Yeah. Unless you know people, it's almost impossible to figure out how to get in. Or even know that you can work within it. Well, that's the thing. Obviously, leaving uni, I didn't even know what jobs were available. I was like, do I work for a broadcaster? Do I work for a production company? I didn't really know what the difference was. Mm -hmm. I did all these work experience. I went to Sky in London. I was like, God, what is this? (laughs) Sat in the newsroom. It's the most intense situation. I realised the way forward was natural history and conservation go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they should. should. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was sort of my target and that was my sort of way in, I guess, to target production companies, fortunately, mostly in Bristol. So you moved back um, home to Bristol after uni. And then how did you do your initial approaches to production companies as you didn't know um, anyone already inside the building? So I guess I just googled the hell out of what was available in Bristol and just cold emails as much as much as possible. I tried to like ring companies up, I emailed, I met people for coffee, I did as much as I could in that aspect of just being persistent but not... What's the fine line? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think I had a really interesting call with a couple of talent managers last week. And what they said for nowadays is, one, they get around 200 emails every month. And that is their role. They really love finding out which new talent is out there. But for them, they said, once they've got your CV... Uh, once every three months is like a reasonable time just to check back in. So I think certainly for me, when I was 
doing my cold emails that's changed and evolved a bit there's more people trying to get into the industry nowadays I think yeah it, I mean that once every three months kind of makes sense because I when I was home and I was struggling to get in I also got very itchy feet I did some traveling when I finished uni immediately about six months but I felt like I wanted to see the world more and I was trying to think of ways to productively do that. So I applied also to do a wildlife filmmaking internship in South Africa. Oh, wow. So I did that for one month. Did you? And that was where I made my first wildlife film, I suppose to speak. <laughs> Who is your lead character? Uh, it was an elephant. Oh, wonderful. And how they are the architects of the African savannah. <laughs> <laughs> so I tried to do really productive things to help bolster my CV, not coming from a science background I thought it was best to come at it from a creative perspective as that's where my strengths lie and then in between those doing those things I was still obviously knocking on the doors and trying to but in the the meantime trying to build up a a CV I guess yeah and my skill set so you finished uni you had your creative degree then you came back to Bristol more more so because it's where you were from rather than it's where the natural history was but from there you started reaching out to the talent managers and companies but while you were doing that worked on building your skill set yeah and then sort of worked part-time did all that sold my soul to retail (laughs) yeah and got then I got my first work experience slot at icon films oh wow okay yeah yeah. I think I thought yeah, got the dream job. Obviously, work experience, you don't really get to do that much back when I did it anyway. And was it for a couple of weeks? It was two weeks, two actually. Weeks. So it was a good amount of time. The one thing I found most useful is someone there sort of did a bubble system of like how to get into the industry and what's the pass you can take, which no one had ever explained to me before. And it was like, so you could always, always start as a runner, then you can take editorial management. And then she says she was a PC, but she was like, obviously from what you're saying, editorial matches you better. And then they were explaining the steps from researcher to AP to producer to stage producer. And I've never, never, no one had ever done that for me before. So I was like, okay, right, now I, I kind of have a clearer idea of how to do this. So I might just unpack a little bit what you said, because even there we've used a little bit of shorthand. For those people listening in, the traditional entry-level role into TV is to work either as a runner, or sometimes they call it a PMA, a production management assistant, or um, sometimes it's an office assistant. But all of those titles really represent the same job, which is you go into either a production company or sometimes it's like a tech house, the one here in Bristol that a lot of people come through is called Films at 59. And basically your job is making tea and coffee, you know, sorting out the printer, moving and opening endless boxes and mail, popping to the post office to send anything out, helping with kit room, running hard drives around. It's really kind of like a role where you do a plethora of things. But the idea, whether it's work experience or an entry level role, is that you start to see different jobs in the industry and have a think about which path you might want to take. And there are, as I mentioned, several different paths. So you've got production, so PCs are production coordinators, but the more junior role to that is called a production secretary. So it goes production secretary and then production coordinator, and you continue on that production pathway There's an editorial pathway, which is usually junior researcher or researcher, and then up to an assistant producer or AP. And then there's 
also the editor pathway. So you would start as a, an edit assistant and then work your way up through to becoming an editor. And those are the in-house roles, the on-the-ground more technical roles, so cinematographers, sound recordists, work in their own completely different pathway. There's a lot of different job opportunities within the television world, but when you're focusing, like Aisha was, on coming into the production house and being within that kind of production bubble, it really is those three strands, which is production, editorial, and then editors. Yeah. yeah. So once you've got your work experience at Icon, what happened then? How did you find it? So what came it was from still it? quite a long way off the first job I really got <laughs> into TV. It was, I was kind of all over the place, really. I had my work experience and I don't like to sit and do nothing. So I was a bit of a busybody on work experience, doing everything, <laughs> everything available. And the managing director at the time noticed that I was everywhere, I think. <laughs> And she asked if I wanted to apply for a temporary role as senior management runner. Nice. So I was senior management runner for creative and managing directors of the company Icon Films at that time. It was a six-week role. I think they were trying to work out whether this was a role they were going to have or mm-hmm. not. So I did that for six weeks. I got on really well with operations manager and she ran the runner's team. So I was kind of part of the team, but slightly further up the office. And we just got on really well. And she sort of became a sort of a mentor towards me. And I stayed in contact with her after I finished the two weeks and the six weeks. And we would go for coffee and catch up. And she said she would always keep an ear out if she ever heard anything. But a lot of time passed and still nothing really came up. So I just went on a bit of a mission and applied to like, everything possible so I applied to the BBC's runners pool channel 4 did some production trainee scheme (laughs) I applied for the masters the wildlife filmmaking MA at UWE because I was like oh god what am I gonna do I've not had anything and then I left the country and went to Greece (laughs) and decided to be a media intern for an NGO there um, called Archipelagos's Institute of Marine science, taking photos and just doing their social media because I didn't want to be in Bristol and not have a job. Yeah, definitely. So I was trying to do everything and when I came back I had a bit of a a whirlwind moment because I got into the BBC Runners Pool but they didn't really have anything available immediately. I'd got offered a place at the MA at UWE and I managed to somehow get a final interview for this production training scheme so I was overloaded with things and I was kind of overwhelmed and then Tracy passed on my CV to Offspring and I had an interview there and something that I wasn't aware of was when they call you in for a chat that's actually an interview (laughs) so I went in really casual really blase not knowing anything really about the company and felt a bit silly but I was in and out in 15 minutes but it clearly went well because now almost five years later. (laughs) Yeah, it was a difficult decision because I remember getting offered the place on the MA and the job and not knowing which route to take. So Peter Venn, who runs the master's programme, is the nicest person in the world. So I rang him and asked him what I should do. He told me to take the job because he said his job was to get us into industry and that is the foot in the door. That's the right direction. So that was it. So you did your two-week work experience at Icon, and there you made a really good connection. When that finished, you waited. Like, how long was the wait between that and getting the job at Offspring Films? I'd say it was almost probably a year. 
And in that year, yeah. you did a variety of other things, including kind of any applications that you yeah. could. Yeah, went away for about four months in total, applied to all these schemes, worked part time. Yeah, it wasn't a smooth sailing. I think it's yeah from twenty seventeen to to twenty eighteen when I got the job. Yeah. Wow. And then when you got the role at Offspring, what was that first role? What was the title of it? So that first role was production assistant. Mm -hmm. So it's like a runner, but a little bit more production based in the office. Uh, Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I do have one last little question, which I just wanted maybe not to discuss in a big way but as two women of colour in this industry I just thought it was worth having a little touch upon that and I suppose the biggest thing is there are so few people of colour and women of colour I don't know if you find this but oftentimes I look around and I'm the only person of colour in the room is that something you've found on many occasions? Completely it's definitely like a strange situation especially when we live in Bristol where you feel it's a really diverse and multicultural city but our industry is quite closed in that respect. Yeah I remember when I started at Offspring I think you were there as well and I think maybe at that point there's probably just us Yeah, and you do feel a bit strange and you also want to know that you've got the job, well I feel this anyway, that you've got the job because of you. Yeah you're not an inclusion hire. Yeah <laughs> I don't know like the token yeah. <laughs> identity yeah, I feel that. I don't. I sometimes worry that that um, sways people's opinions on job hiring, but I hope not. No, um, but yeah. and I hope it will change. As it's all, it's just change across the whole structure, isn't it? You need a more diverse raft of people in senior roles, and then they're not hiring people based on inclusion. They're hiring people for their own personal skill sets but giving more opportunities to more people because that is reflected all the way up the business yeah yeah it's always really difficult you don't know if like someone when they see your cv they look at your name or your or if you're male or female or like whether that sways their opinion especially Mm. when it's such a male dominant industry Mm -hmm. and i feel like as a female you're always trying to prove yourself especially on location when you are lugging masses amounts of heavy equipment and you don't want to see and be seen as like the stereotypical female I guess you you do feel like you're always kind of as being quite small as well (laughs) constantly proving yourself yeah um yeah yeah it's definitely difficult in those situations yeah um and I suppose I've thought a lot on this as in like how do we change it it's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast one of my main things when I was kind of coming into tv is I didn't know anyone that worked in tv I didn't even know you could have a job in tv and so it took me years to find the path and I just think that if we can get the fact out there to like a more diverse range of people that this is Wildlife TV, you can do these jobs, This, these are the companies, it's based in Bristol. You know, I worked in London for four years until I figured out I really yeah, needed wow. to move to Bristol to do it. So I think access is the most difficult thing. And actually then making sure that companies who are looking for staff don't just want people who, who have done that really traditional mm-hmm. college, university, master's route, because a lot 
of people haven't done that, but that doesn't mean that their ideas or their passion for nature isn't as strong. Completely. And just, yeah, creating that awareness, which Offspring are doing really well at the moment, is going into schools at that age where you're sort of making important decisions because you're told your GCSEs affect your A-levels, your A-levels affect your uni Mm. application, and you're 16 years old, you don't (laughs) even know what you're going to do next week. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's really interesting that they're doing that and they're going in and explaining what the jobs are and what's available to kids. Well... Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really interesting to hear about your personal path into Natural History TV and that not all paths are linear. That's been really helpful and I've learned a lot about you that I didn't know, so thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So I just wanted to end on some of those schemes and scholarships that I mentioned earlier. So today it is the 12th of April 2023, just in case you were listening back to the podcast. So there's an incredible scholarship that's just opened by the National Film and Television School. It's for Black British Women um, for the Cinematographer Scholarship Award. And so this is for their two-year cinematography master's course. And just apply for the master's course. And if you are eligible, you can then apply for the scholarship as well. It's entirely funded by Netflix and they not only pay the fees, they also offer support with the annual living expenses and mentoring afterwards. So it's really worth having a look into that and that closes in early May. Wildstar Film Academy, and that's run by Wildstar Films, they have two paid training opportunities. Both, again, will benefit from mentoring by industry leaders and hands-on training. There's one opportunity that's available out of their head offices here in Bristol, but the second opportunity is open globally, so anyone, anywhere can apply for that. You'll be supported where you are and trained up where you are. I wanted to touch on a few things, what to watch this week and some new commissions. So Wild Isles, which was produced by Silverback, films here in Bristol is now available on BBC iPlayer and that's including the standalone documentary Saving Our Wild Isles and Big Beasts which was produced by Plimsoll Productions and is narrated by Tom Hiddleston is now available on Apple TV Plus. And for commissions BBC Studios Natural History Unit has just had Mammals commissioned and that will be for the BBC and also Prehistoric Planet 2 commissioned and that's for Apple TV Plus and the BBC have also announced that they are going to be making Attenborough and the Giant Sea Monster so I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast if you have please do follow us on Instagram at Wild Film Hub and share this podcast far and wide thank you